0: God's judgment on David finds its full fruition as David's son rebels against his father to install himself as king on the Bible Brief. Our goal is to get 100 new monthly supporters before the end of 2023. Will you be one of the hundred? Give today at BibleLit.org. The judgment on David, delivered to him by Nathan the prophet, after David's great sins. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son." It's been about nine years since the murder of Amnon. Nine years since that fateful day when David lost not one son, but two. One to death and another to exile. Amnon had died for his violation of his half-sister Tamar, and Absalom had fled the country after his murder of Amnon. David had been bereaved of two sons, and despite their evil, he still felt great loss his leading commander Joab had sensed David's sadness, especially the sadness from being distanced from his son Absalom. David still loved his son, despite his son's murder of Amnon, and Joab took it upon himself to make a reconciliation happen. So a few years ago, through some arguably deceptive means, Joab convinced David to allow Absalom to peaceably return to Jerusalem. It took two more years, But Absalom was finally summoned by his father the king, and the two made peace. Absalom bowed before his father the king, while David came to his son and kissed him. Absalom was finally free in Israel again, finally a member of the royal court again. He was free from the fear of the king's retribution, and finally free to begin his plan. A plan, no doubt, years in the making. First, he had to win the people. This task of his was aided especially by his appearance, something that the Lord doesn't look at, but that man has difficulty ignoring. We read, Now in all Israel there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. While the former king Saul had had a stature above Israel, David's son Absalom had good looks that exceeded all Israel. But good looks wouldn't do the job alone. He needed a reputation as well. After reconciling with his father, he began to form a reputational foundation to win the hearts of the people. He got himself a chariot and had 50 men join him as an entourage to express his prominence. And then he began his campaign. A subtle pull on the heart that incrementally began to pull the people toward him. We read in 2 Samuel 15 that, Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were a judge in the land, then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Don't miss what Absalom is doing here. He's setting himself up at the city gate and intercepting people on their way to see the king. Now, part of the king's role in Israel was to arbitrate civil matters for people seeking justice, and Absalom was cutting in before David had a chance to hear the cases of the people. People were traveling from all over Israel, and the first face they saw in Jerusalem was a handsome son of the king with an imposing entourage who was only affirming the justice of their plea. Absalom was setting himself up as the ultimate judge over Israel, usurping an aspect of his father's office. After four years setting himself up at the city gate, he had stolen the hearts of the men of Israel. David was no longer the champion of the nation. Ever so incrementally, Absalom had replaced him. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived in Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So Absalom arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. After planting the seeds and four years of watering the ground, the plot for the throne began to sprout. Absalom lies to his father David about the purpose of his visit to Hebron, and then he brings 200 men with him who are none the wiser. He's apparently bolstered his power for this next move, to declare himself king throughout all of Israel. News that when it reached the ears of the people, probably pleased them with Absalom having already won their hearts. Soon news reaches King David about Absalom. Grave news indeed for the king. A messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him and the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out, and all the people after him. David was now leaving the city he'd conquered, the house he'd built, the tabernacle tent, and the throne promised to him by God himself. The great city of Jerusalem was being emptied of its leader and his household. Empty to make way for a rebel from within David's own house. A rebel used by God, as a judgment on David's sins. But before David has exited the city of his throne, the priests of the tabernacle come to him as well. The priests Abiathar and Zadok come up to him carrying the ark, and David says this to them, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the Ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. The Ark had aided David's legitimacy as the God-established king over Israel and the priests had brought it to David, perhaps desiring to have the ark accompany him away from the city. They didn't want Absalom to have the same claim to legitimacy as David, and they knew that David would protect the priests. But David, for his part, won't have it. He knows that the ark belongs in Jerusalem, in the city where God would have a temple one day. God's city was meant to house God's ark. So David sent them back to the tabernacle. Yet he also sent them with a mission. They were to be spies for him in the city, and he would wait in the wilderness until he received word from them. David hasn't given up on regaining the throne, but he has cast himself at the mercy of God to achieve that end. Perhaps God would use these spies to undo this mutiny. And not just these spies, but one of David's good friends as well. We read this in chapter 16, starting in verse 15. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai the Archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend David? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be and with him I will remain. And again whom shall I serve, should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. David's friend Hushai had become another spy for him. The king would have eyes and ears inside the city while his son was assuming the throne that wasn't his. Hushai would be a double agent, an advisor to Absalom, and a secret informer for David. An informer whose mission Was to, yes, get information to David, but also to defeat the advice of Absalom's other counselors. Hushai was especially to defeat David's old trusted counselor, Ahithophel, an advisor whose first counsel to Absalom would be the fulfillment of yet more judgment upon David's sins. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, David's former advisor, Give your counsel, what shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and all the hands of those who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Absalom had taken the throne of Israel, and if that weren't enough, on Ahithophel's advice, he'd taken the concubines in the small harem of David. He'd taken them and had his way with them in broad daylight. Though David had taken Uriah's wife in secret, Absalom had taken David's concubines in broad daylight, just as God had said. God's judgment on David was a reflection of the seriousness of David's sins of adultery and murder and his great sin of disobedience to God but it was also a reflection of the natural consequences of a bad example from a father to his children. When a father takes another man's wife, it's easier for the son to do it himself. When a father murders a man, murder becomes less grievous for the next generation. What a lesson this is to parents and to potential parents. Our examples pave a pathway for our children. We can form a path of righteousness or we can lead the way into wickedness. What we need to provide is good examples. Now our children may stray from the path that we've made, but it won't be because of our example. It will be in spite of it. David surely continued to understand the gravity of his own sins as all these events transpired. He'd lost a baby. He'd lost his firstborn Amnon. He'd lost his house. He'd lost his city. He'd lost his throne. One night and one conspiracy to murder trickled into grave events that would mark the rest of his life. Yet despite all this loss and all this sadness, he hadn't lost the most important thing in his life. He hadn't lost Yahweh his God, his one constant in the midst of life's ups and downs. Fleeing from Absalom, he had the opportunity to write a short verse that we find in Psalm number three. Simply this, But you, O Yahweh, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to Yahweh, and he answered me from his holy hill. David had Yahweh, and with Yahweh, David would flee. next time as Absalom attempts to pursue the forces of David before finding himself hanging between heaven and earth. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023.